Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Zinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. So Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So how are you doing in quarantine? I'm good. Self-isolating in an apartment with my cat and my partner. And we've gone through the stage of cat's a little freaked out why I'm here. And now he's very sad when I leave. So for grocery shopping and things like that. So no, it's it's great. I'm getting a lot of work done. How about you two? It's so interesting. I feel like every week I feel something different. Some weeks I'm like, yes, we're getting a lot done. Other weeks I'm like, oh my gosh, have I got anything done? And I think just as like a creative, I think this is such an interesting time where, you know, like you might be saying to yourself, oh, I'm, you know, I'm in a really creative space. Or you might be mad at yourself for not being in a creative space. And it's kind of interesting how our brains kind of like change and we have to kind of like figure out how we're going to work with them again. I'm reading a lot of books. Stephanie, are you reading anything you like right now? I just finished Andrea Bartz's The Herd. It's kind of like a thriller, but like that was like a millennial sort of female empowerment story about a group of women who grew up as friends, created a co-working space together. And that has just Wait, been so good. Wait, is that based so on the wing? I don't know, to be honest. Is everything um, millennial pink? It's not. It's actually purple. Like that was a shocker to me. But it's super. It, it's just very clever. The uh, there's a journalist who has done a really cute like mini chapter that I've been gushing about called Oh, what's it called? It's something like if Steve Jobs were Eve Jobs, and then it's in like two pages points out how you can't just like flip a gender because every single like milestone in Steve Jobs' life would have been picked apart because she would be female. And so the success would not be replicated if you just swapped a gender. So like, I love this book. It's really commercial, really rapid of a read. Like it's super easy to read. Yeah. I'm super passionate about that one. I haven't switched to my next book yet, but that's the one I'd recommend. What about you two? What are you reading? I'm reading Wilder Girls, which is appears to be about a pandemic that is magical and terrible in a uh, isolated island. One of our last guests mentioned it, and I happened to have it on my nightstand. I just didn't put together that the picture of the woman with the sliced up face like gills was the same cover. <laughs> so I'm reading that. Julie, what are you reading? I'm reading like seven books right now. It's kind of <laughs> how I roll. But looking at my shelf, I just finished Elsie Comes Home by Susan Conley. And I'm also reading Mrs. Elsewhere by Jennifer Weiner. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been a lot of fun just kind of looking across my bedroom here in podcasting land. And I know last the last podcast that we did, we gave away a book. Yeah. Why don't we do that again? We will oh, keep yeah. you happy in, in quarantine. So um, we'll make an actual form this time. So <laughs> head on over to manuscriptacademy.com slash giveaway and tell us which book you want. And we will be in touch with the first person who we can easily mail a book to in the United States or nearby. And the first person to write in gets the book of their choice that we just mentioned. So yeah, yeah let's do that. Yeah, we're just trying to add some some excitement and fun to our podcast. And we're really so excited that you guys are tuning in in, the, in this craziness. 
What do you do when you're not working? When I'm not working, usually it's reading. But if we're like actually saying that I'm full on not working, not involved in publishing, it is for sure playing video games. I can. Which ones? Oh, right now I'm obsessed with my Nintendo Switch. So I just downloaded Animal Crossing like literally last night. So I haven't become obsessed yet, but I can see why everyone else is. Like Zelda, lots of sort of like character driven stories. I'm a huge fan of the ones that have like strong character arcs and plots. So like the Uncharted series was really great. Assassin's Creed is really fun as well. Anything with a good story and beautiful graphics, I'm a sucker. And that's what I usually do for fun. Oh, that's awesome. And I love that there is such a strong narrative component so much of the time. I find that like, I, I've always struggled with like finding like shooter games really entertaining. It's not necessarily for me. And I realized far too late that it it really is that story component that like keeps bringing me back. It's just another medium for like consuming a movie or entertainment or whatnot. Except you get to choose your own adventure to some degree. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love choose your own adventure games. So definitely would love to see one of those come across my uh, desk in submissions. (laughs) That's true. We haven't seen um, that many choose your own adventure novels for a long time. It'd be pretty cool if those came back. Oh my gosh. I love those so much. So yeah. much fun. I think someone in San Francisco is doing Choose Your Own Adventure erotica apps, which sounds amazing. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so funny. So I'm interested, Stephanie, do you do graphic novels as well with, with having that video game background and that visual component? Do you enjoy those or is that something that you take in? Oh, I love them. I'm a big fan of graphic novels. I'm always talking about the Wicked and Divine series. It's been a favorite for a really long time, and I acquire them as well. So anything that has sort of a more realistic edge to it across all genres, graphic novels are just super fun. And I don't know, I've worked in a bookstore before, and having to educate people and say, hey, graphic novels have value and have value for like younger ages has made me so passionate about supporting them and representing them can't get enough of them. Well, this, they're so interesting too, because I feel like they are especially good for those kids that don't have necessarily great mm-hmm. literacy that they can partake in reading and they can get hooked in it. And then that can actually really move their reading along. Um, one of the questions we get the Manuscript Academy, and that I, I honestly don't know how to answer, or maybe both of you guys can do it because I don't think we've done it on the podcast before. Like, well, how do you submit a graphic novel? Like, what, what is the protocol for that? It's a pitch packet, essentially. So it kind of feels like a nonfiction proposal, a little bit like a fiction one as well. And it depends on who your creator is. If they're just doing the graphics, if they're just doing the script, uh, you're providing the publisher a, a sort of like a nonfiction proposal with samples of the work that they can create. So it's kind of a hybrid and mm. it, there's not a ton of hard and fast rules, I would say, with it. You're looking at like an overview of the work. You're looking at character bios, usually with character illustrations, if you're the illustrator, to give a vibe of what that looks like, a sample portion of what the script is, a sample portion of what your paneling and your illustrated pages would look like. The biggest and most important part of the document, I think, is the synopsis. You're giving a really detailed breakdown, not just one or two pages, but of the entire narrative. Uh, so that the person who's potentially going to buy your work can see your vision, even though you don't have a lot of the product fully created. Yeah, that's the biggest part. So Stephanie, what would you do in an alternate universe with no publishing? Oh my God. I have thought about this a lot because I feel like everyone who gets an English degree is like, well, what are you going to do? 
And many people tell you you're going to do nothing with that degree. So, <laughs> yeah, oh, that's true. right. Like, I'm very fortunate that I am not one of those people. But if publishing didn't exist, I think I would do something tech based. I'm really passionate about like coding and illustrating and full gaming. And so I would say that I would definitely want to pursue that more. I briefly worked for like a game dev studio, not in a super fancy position. So it wasn't all glamorous, but. I'm so enamored by the talent in the industry, that innovation, it would definitely be probably in that vein. That'd be cool. Yeah. Maybe you could make some of those choose your own adventure apps in the future. (laughs) That would be so fun. I remember reading an article. Oh, I feel like it was early 2010s, basically about this author who decided to create like a digital version of a choose your own adventure game before those apps got really popular. And the editor that sort of agreed to publish it and work with him Apparently, it was like an absolute nightmare with so many different webs where you had to chain and figure out what alternatives had to sync up and whatnot. So like that sounds like a very like interesting but also slightly intimidating task, I would say. But it sounds super fun. I would definitely do it. Yeah, that would be really cool. I'm always very curious about how these different modes work like they must have a huge web of okay if this Mm. happens then you get these choices and then from there you branch out into these choices but mapping that out oh my goodness right Um, and then there are those ones that start sort of like having a sidebar navigation where they start building your attributes and your skill sets so your decisions give you points to different skill sets which further open up other options like it's just mind-boggling how people are so at that it's really creative kind of like so your character is strong now so does she want to use the sword or the dagger like stuff like that exactly (laughs) awesome so what's something you've changed your mind about in your time in the industry you know i feel like i've had like little surprises in my personal growth getting thrown my own work habits and breeding preferences but i feel like i've had a fairly good introduction to publishing and this industry where i haven't totally changed my opinions on I feel like my biggest thing is I always was that like super fast reader and I would get a book out, a novel out, something, a manuscript, all of that would be read, processed, written a report for it really quickly. And now I have things that have been sitting in my inbox for months and I feel so guilty about it. But those that like change in speed is something I've totally flipped on uh, since I've become an agent. So how do you read differently now? I mean, that, that's super interesting. I don't think anyone said that before. Like how, like, so how does that process switch from just like being that reader that just took it in to like taking in a book as an agent? I, I tend to block off my time in terms of query samples or uh, full manuscript. And I can tell, like we we're discuss, discussing earlier about kind of knowing when you're going to be productive. I definitely have those days of I know when I'm going to be able to read and assess a manuscript or will I only be able to read and assess partials and what mindset that involves. Because if you're sitting down for a manuscript, you really want to be invested in the whole thing. You want to love it to be able to like find a new client, to have that conversation with them, to proceed in that publishing journey. So for me, I'm just very in tune with myself and to make sure that I'm not reading something that involves too much emotional investment when I don't have the, I almost want to say like bandwidth for it. So that way I can do the best uh, for that manuscript and judge it the most objectively as I can, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, definitely. When I worked in an when I worked in an office, <laughs> which I guess none of us do right now, <laughs> I definitely started with the small pieces and worked to the bigger pieces. So I would mm-hmm. do, you know, client emails first, then queries, then partials, and then after lunch polls. Mm -hmm. Um, depending, of course, on how many meetings I have that day. Just because when I'm reading a full manuscript, I want to basically turn off the phone and no one can bug me. Like we Mm -hmm. had this, we had this little portion of the office with one of those, uh, I guess, kind of like a Barco lounger. You can sit in the chair and put your feet up. And I realize this is sounding much more uh, relaxed than our (laughs) office actually was. But yes, there was a chair where I could put my feet up and just stare at a manuscript and, you know, have a phone extension with me. So I didn't have to get up if people called and Mm-hmm. You know, I just did not want anyone to bug me if I was really into a story because it can kind of break the spell a little bit. And if they do mm-hmm. that at the wrong time, I mean, I would like to think that I can go right back into that place. But it's kind of like when you wake up from a dream, you can't always do it. But I can feel that freaking out our listeners. I think most of the time it ends up okay. It's just you want to not risk it and you want to have that time and space to really focus. And so sometimes it takes a while for you to have a couple hours where you can dedicate that to a book. Can I ask you, know, you both a follow-up question to this? And mm-hmm. we, we hear this at the Manuscript Academy all the time. Like, is there a word count for you? Especially Stephanie, who I know that you sound like you like kind of like the epic adventures and the kind of, it sounds like the fantasy type thing too. Is there a word count that's just too high for you? And what is the cutoff where you're just like, I don't have time to read that? Ooh, I don't think there's a cutoff for when I don't have time to read that. Because if I like a manuscript, I'm going to read it, going to sit down. There's no, especially with what we were just saying, Julie, uh, Jessica's totally right. Like it's not something for authors or listeners to worry about. I feel like I get a little bit suspicious when something is over a hundred thousand words, uh, depending on the genre for fantasy. It's not necessarily a concern, but I've had things in my inbox. That's like 300,000 words. Wow. Uh, and that's a Same. pretty good, uh, suggestion that that's not the uh, book for me but you never know it depends on what the query says what the synopsis is like all that to me that just looks like a lack of research mm-hmm. if it's three hundred thousand, yep if it's close to a hundred thousand i would probably read it with an eye toward okay where can we break this into multiple books and that's not necessarily a bad thing because especially if it's fantasy people like to buy several books at a time and know that it's an ongoing story so If it's the sort of thing where I think, okay, here's the plan I have for you of how you're going to turn this into multiple books. And if I like it and offer, if I like it and suggest that to you and you respond well, I think that could be a very positive thing because you've already done a lot of the work. That said, I don't think people need to have written multiple books by the time they submit. You only Mm -hmm. need the first one and the synopses for the later books. So when you see 150,000 words, you're like, it's good or... I'm thinking two books at that point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like that 90, 80,000 sort of like soft spot is always my favorite. I don't know about you, Jessica, but like that's, you know, where it feels like everything is most fully developed, but also has potential to um, be cut if needed, to develop more if needed. There's a good room for uh, editing. Yeah. It's always easier to cut extra than to say just add magic. Can you tell us a little bit about what you mentioned of what writers can do so that there will be a book two and a book three? Yeah. Hmm. I feel like if you're thinking about a series, I feel I'm a little more cautious when it comes to trying to prepare and get ready for series. I always like to have book one being really, really strong. You want those gorgeous characters. You want the amazing setting, the really great plot. And 
I personally love the idea of having it almost as a standalone with a little bit more because you want to salvage your track record, I would say, if you don't get that second book. If you are looking to get a second book, being wonderful with your editors, being open to feedback, working in a professional manner can really help because if you already have an agent, the assumption is that you already have that uh, writerly skill, I would say. What do you think, uh, Jessica? Yeah, I think that pretty much covers it. I just wanted to see if you had a magic answer. (laughs) (laughs) That would be amazing. Like, oh, if I could learn how to write one like pitch letter that would get my client like a six book deal, I would love it. But that's a little bit more of a unicorn. (laughs) Man, six books. I don't even know if being tied up that long is is necessarily a great idea. But (laughs) fair enough. Definitely not. sure that that does happen every so often. I think I've seen like a 13 book deal. I think that's the the largest one I saw. Wow, really? A lot of I, think, I think so. Um, I will go on PM after this and see if I can find it. But yeah, I saw something ridiculous like that. And I'm like, but who knows what the writer is going to be doing at the end of that? You know, their mm-hmm. life could be totally different. Is it really a good idea? to commit to that right now. I don't know. And then also there's the whole debate about like, okay, but what if the first book becomes like this total runaway bestseller? You're going to feel like an idiot if you sold it for like midless price. I don't know. I think there's like, this is like the writing teacher in me. And, and, you know, after doing all these five day events, like, I think as a writer, you should always be thinking of weighty things that you can put in your book. Like just like just little brushes of, of those, like of those tentacles you could use if your book, you know, caught fire, especially if it was like, you know, a great character, or if it was like a fantasy, I, you know, of some sort. But if you can kind of think of those things with your plotting, and they, they don't necessarily need to be things that need to be buttoned up at the end of your book, but they're just kind of there, like sitting there. I think that's really interesting. Like, I think of like The Wizard of Oz and how, I mean, that's obviously an old series, but like, there was just so many little, all the different worlds and all the different characters and all the different wants and needs. And if you look at that, it's like, we could probably do a whole case study on that and how all these other stories just stem from that particular world. I don't know. It's interesting. I feel like that's one of the best rewarding things if you're a reader reading a series, like having all those like little things from the first book, or even when you get to the conclusion and all those little ties are brought together, having those yes moments of, oh my gosh, I noticed that this was a thing, that this was significant even though that it was embedded in the plot, like that's so rewarding for a reader that I, I think that's a great strategy for series. And that, I mean, that's what Harry Potter did so well, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of like every detail at the beginning and you get to the end, you're like, oh, it's so amazing. You know? It's so satisfying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would love for someone to map out where each of the threads goes, you know, kind of like if it's a long timeline and if they've got a thread of, okay, you know, this blue one is for this part and it starts on page 50 and then it gets, you know, and then it's brought up again over here. That would be a very cool like word art embroidery project Mm -hmm. but i will also say sometimes we've seen we've seen a series and i'm not going to point any of them out but like for me as a reader there's been series that i really loved that first one that have panned out for me in in a way that wasn't as satisfying because they were never they were never actually planned on being like four books or whatever (laughs) yeah or it's like book one is fantastic book two is basically book one again and we don't know why and then book three is just everything goes wrong because it does. <laughs> because it does. Yeah. It's, 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 we're not talking about anybody. 
Stephanie, do you have any favorite craft advice? Like if you say like, if you went and you were like, I need to talk about this. What is your favorite craft advice for our reader, for our listeners? That's a good question. Let's keep that. Oh my gosh. Okay. This is very old school, but it's always read aloud. Like I cannot stress enough when you're reading something and you've opened it up and it's like deceptively one sentence and it's half of your page. You would notice that if you had read that out loud. I am, that's always my number one for the craft. Like if you're writing and you can't deliver your words, if you're speaking them, there is something wonky in the way you've constructed them. And that's the first and easiest way to notice it. So always, always, always read out loud. It's interesting. We talk about that a lot in our live events because sometimes Jessica and I will be reading and we'll be totally out of breath because we're trying to read it with (laughs) integrity. And that always comes out like, (gasps) yeah. You know, (laughs) yeah, like we should start saying, like, guys, so that we don't look stupid, please read this aloud first. We'll start sweating. (laughs) I'm like turning purple trying to keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But Stephanie, I was really pleased to see that you chose to write a class about voice because this is something that everyone asks about. Everyone wants to know more. It's kind of seen as like the magic answer, right? Like you go to a publishing party and you ask another, what do you like? And they say, great voice. And you're like, fantastic. What do I do with that? (laughs) Um, (laughs) So that you have taken this really like nebulous concept and made it into something that you can teach is really impressive to me. Can you tell us a little about how you decided to do that and how you went about doing it and just give us a little taste of what the class will be like? Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you for being so complimentary about it. I definitely hope to live up to that high praise. For Voice and Manuscript, it really is nebulous and it's frustrating because you. I find that one of my biggest points of feedback is that I just didn't emotionally connect enough with the language. And that equally is very difficult to pinpoint what I mean by that. But that's the sort of the best and truest answer to feedback I can give sometimes. So when I wanted to write a class about voice in a manuscript, I wanted to take a non-technical approach to troubleshooting how someone writes fiction. You can incorporate this into poetry or nonfiction, but I definitely had that sort of commercial upmarket perspective in mind. And What this sort of stems from is if you're picking up a book in the bookstore and you flip through it, you already know right away that it is going to be good for you or it's something you're going to pass on. And as an agent, I have that same feeling when I'm looking at my queries. So in this class, I want to give uh, participants a taste of what that feels like when I look at submissions. So I'm thinking of voice, not just as this like one big thing, but I break it down into three prongs, dialogue, characters, and prose, because you have so many people talking about, oh, what's your authorial voice? Your characters, they speak, so they have this like literal dialogue that's a voice. But then literally from what we were talking about earlier in eating sandwiches to how they dress, how they act and interact with other people, those characters still have voices even if they're not speaking. So I've tried to separate voice out in those sort of three different prongs to be able to approach what we're talking about. And then I've gone in and pinpointed some of the biggest and most consistent things I'm seeing in submissions that don't really work or that really do work. Like, for example, and this one's a little bit dated, the ever encountered a manuscript where someone's texting and they're talking in like, three letter sentences as if they were using like a phone from the early 2000s 
Yeah. <laughs> like that is such a pet peeve of mine, I will admit, because if it's not used in the right context, it doesn't make sense. It's not likely that an adult in 2020 with a smartphone is going to speak as if they have a phone that doesn't let them type out full sentences. So that's like one of those things that is like an immediate, aha, something is really wrong with the characterization in your voice here. So we go in and talk about lots of little points like that to sort of like give you a way of saying, ooh, I think I do this in my manuscript and maybe I should tailor that. And yeah, that's what you can expect in voice in a manuscript. So Stephanie, I can't help but picture this as kind of like a video game as you're talking, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, say they are using this texting like it's, you know, 10 years ago or how many years ago was that? I want to say (laughs) like 2005 and earlier somewhere in there. (laughs) Okay. So say they're texting like they're on a flip phone and Mm -hmm. can't write in full sentences. That to me would be kind of like, okay, minus five points. Your character runs into something sharp and they're injured, but not dead. All right. So they keep going along and then almost as if they're encountering enemies or getting hurt until finally they die. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That is fantastic. And yeah, you know, it builds up. So if you're like, you know, you're losing five points with your dialogue and then you're losing five more with your characters and maybe five more with your prose, you're definitely getting to that point where someone is having a threshold moment of "Mm, maybe this could use some work. Maybe I'm not the right person to work with you to get it to where it needs to be. So there's a lot of little things that you can edit out. Is there anything that's the equivalent of the character just falling down one of those pits that instantly kills them? I feel like I have a very forgiving threshold when it comes to seeing little things and I'll keep reading until I get like to a major one and I feel like it usually has something to do with gender and sexuality I want diverse voices I want people to be represented fairly and to have perspectives that don't match with my own but like there's usually something that just feels like very telling that a character is not authentic to themselves oh, I am a gender stereotype, but I am actually not. Like, There's something to do with consistency and how people are relating to real-life characterization and how they're breaking it. That usually is my like trigger wire. Does that make sense? It does. I don't know. I feel like it kind of lingers in the back of my mind if people are too perfect, too not perfect. I have questions either way. Well, I think it's one thing that people have to keep in mind that anytime we read something, we're calling up memories of a whole bunch of other things that we've read. Mm. So if we see something over and over and over again, we're going to form patterns so much more quickly than most readers would just because we're exposed to so much of this Mm -hmm. over and over and over again. And I think it's not really fair, but it is part of how something is read where if you send us something that you had no idea that is going to remind us of 12 other things that can also impact the reading of your work. Definitely. Like it's a fine line, even on a genre basis, right? When we're talking about tropes, especially with like romance, like the one bed trope or the friends to, or the enemies to friends or lovers tropes, like mm-hmm. all of these things, we have these very clear expectations around them. Even if you're not particularly a strong reader, you've seen it a billion times in your movies and your TV consumption. So you already have an expectation of where the patterning uh, should take those characters. And so I'm noticing a lot more and myself included, I'm always looking for genre bending narratives or ideas because I love the trope. And then I want to see like a twist on that trope. So it's not that 
the trope has to be adhered to or the characterization has to be very specifically one thing. People are not just one thing. So we kind of go in to that a little bit with my webinar and try to pinpoint where things feel wrong. Like, I don't know about you, but teen speech is like a big one for me. If you're reading like do an you mean adult adults work. trying to do teen speech? Yes. <laughs> like when you're reading that adult fiction novel and you're looking at this teenager and you're going, this does not sound like any human. That's definitely one thing for me. Yeah. It's so uncomfortable too. Cause if you can picture the person writing it going kids these days, they mm-hmm. say, yeah, or using the word hip. Oh my God. I know. Um, oh. <laughs> And, you know, I'm sure there are so many things that as a 30-something, I'm completely missing as cringeworthy as well. But I I love the idea of, well, first of all, if I'm noticing it, it's not being accurate, then it's probably pretty far from the Mm -hmm. mark. But I love the idea of finding a local reader of the age of your target audience and giving them a highlighter and a gift card to something they want, of course, (laughs) for their time, but giving them a highlighter and having them highlight things that just don't sound right. And then talking with you about why it doesn't sound right. Um, I think that's just a really important step for the things that you could not know. You know what? Likewise. And that's like my biggest go-to when giving people advice about that. Like if you can't get the best first person experience with another person, then maybe watch teen TV shows or read another YA book if you're writing adult fiction, because there are so many resources out there that will help you improve and learn. Like I've gotten to the point where nothing on BuzzFeed is familiar and I don't understand any of the slang. At the same time, I know that there are definitely resources where if I wanted to like learn about that, I could, so I could write something authentic. And so that is available. Where would a person go if they wanted to learn to write like a teenager, but they're not a teenager? Oof. I, I feel like I'm always kind of thinking like social media and, you know, have your perspective hat on when you're looking at what you can uh, learn from. So like social media influences everything and speech and whatnot. So hashtags, people in the comments and things like that, I would say be respectful and approach only people who are right to approach, like approaching family members or family friends. That's something that you can, those are people you can lean on. If you're going out into the world and you don't really know who you're approaching, be a little bit more considerate if that's a good idea. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like going to say, no, no. I'm just, I'm just picturing a 30 something or older being like, I'm going to go to the mall with a clipboard. <laughs> oh, you know what? I like that's so much better. Go sit in the food court. Don't be creepy. And just like observe <laughs> all of the stuff. Like, do that. Like, yeah. Oh, I was picturing them being like, do you have a moment to talk about teen oh, speech? No. Oh. <laughs> be creepy. Yeah. <laughs> just go into like a forever 21 and like talk to the staff or something, but just like, don't be oh, creepy. It's, so loud in there you know I finally figured out that like the when you notice the music is too loud that's when you shouldn't shop there anymore right oh that is a that's a hot button one I mm-hmm, definitely mm-hmm. how yeah. did I not notice how was I okay with it at the time I don't know right or like why is the music like so different from anything any sound that you've ever heard before and it's because <laughs> you're like three generations wrong for it like mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Well, I look forward to seeing those clever steps that do not involve going to the mall with a clipboard for finding out more about how to, oh, sorry, this really amazing yellow bird just went by. There's all kinds of weird <laughs> stuff happening here. I'm not used to birds, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to all the things that you're going to say, because to me, this is like voice is almost like magic in a way. It's mm-hmm. almost like the thing that is just add this and you're good, but nobody seems to have the recipe for it. So I am it's almost as if you're one of those food labs and you're taking a sample of, you know, some amazing pastry and you're like, okay, we detect a little of this. We detect a little of that. Let's, let's recreate it in our lab. <laughs> um, so I'm really looking forward to seeing you do that. Thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to it as well. So what's something you wish writers knew about our side of the desk? I feel like a lot of writers have some understanding about the sheer volume of queries and sort of material that comes our way. I would really love it if I think people would be astounded by how many of those ideas are actually so similar to each other. I think that's the thing that I would love to give that perspective, but I'm not really sure how. There's like such an interesting zeitgeist that you see as an agent because there are so many people pitching very similar topics and it's tough to stand apart in your genre. So that would be really useful, I think. I think so too. Like when I was in middle school, they had to be a teacher for a day, day. Mm -hmm. And that was fantastic. Um, Of course, I thought I was going to change young minds and have a positive influence (laughs) in like six hours. Didn't happen. Um, (laughs) But I did have fun being like, you know, the bell would ring and I'd be like, not yet. Okay, now you can go. (laughs) Amazing. I really love that. I was such a jerk, but like, yeah, (laughs) I was, I was, but um, yeah, I, I like to think about how, we could have sort of be an agent for a day. And I'm like, okay, step one, non-disclosure agreement. Step two, Mm -hmm. screen share with voice. So you can be like, okay, now I'm going into my email. All right, here's what's happening. This client's wanted this thing and it's not been working because of this other thing. All right, here's what we're going to do. Okay, now I'm calling Mm -hmm. this person who's going to make it happen. Hold on, I might yell. Okay, now we're going (laughs) over to this account over here. (laughs) I just think that'd be a really interesting experience for people to see, just like watch us go through the query account like that. Um, I thought about like, what if we you know, had people opt in and send their work to a special account like that. And then we can watch agents go through it at a very like reasonable, normal clip of like, okay, yeah, I'm going to say no to this one next. Okay. I'm going to say, because we have to move quickly. Mm -hmm. And I think so much of the reason that we can move quickly is we get really good at detecting the magic voice. (laughs) So I think that's part of it. I absolutely love that Manuscript Academy has those like 10 query things, like those uh, very public Critiques are so useful because I feel like you can like go in and give one person a critique, but then you're still giving people critiques and having that like public uh, platform where people can see collectively. That is so useful. Um, and oh my gosh, the non-disclosure agreements, there would be so many issues. Yeah, there would be so many issues. Um, mm-hmm. We can't actually in a practical level do that, but in a world where nothing goes wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it would be great. Um, so what's something that isn't nearly as scary or hopeless as writer's fear it is? Hmm. I feel like live agent pitches, those, I've gotten so many people who come to me at conferences and they're so nervous, they're stuttering or they're apologetic because they're nervous. And I just want to like give them a hug if that weren't like inappropriate, because I think we're all nervous and we're, if things were flipped that like the importance that we weigh those meetings as a writer totally makes sense that you'd be nervous, that you would stutter, that you wouldn't feel like you're giving your best pitch, even though you have all the writing material in front of you. So like, they're not that bad. We don't bite. And we totally understand like the very human aspect of it. So even if you are nervous, those things are 
supposed to be mutually beneficial and we're as agents you're here to help the writer so take advantage of it don't let your nerves get in the way they're not we're not that scary I feel like that's my big one yeah and also it's completely fine to ask for editorial feedback in those. Mm -hmm. We've actually set up our e-meetings so that you're supposed to get editorial feedback because Mm -hmm. that's what you're going to be able to take with you. Mm -hmm. A yes or a no only gets you so far. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you get a yes, even in one of these meetings, it just means they're going to read your work, which they would have anyway, if you had submitted it traditionally. So I think the most important thing is to ask them, okay, what's working? What's not working? Where can I go from here? And, um, and then, you're the one asking questions and you're just writing down the information and then it's on them to come up with brilliant things on the spot. So (laughs) in a sense that will take the pressure off, but I think anyone would be happy to do that because we do want to be helpful. It's just that depending on the format of the conference, it just can kind of seem really fast and everyone gets rushed to a point where it's hard to know how many people they've seen that day, um, if they had a break in between, if there's Mm -hmm. adequate coffee. Some conferences cut off the coffee at 9 a.m., which I think is inhumane. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so you don't know the state of the person, but regardless of what they've been through that day, they do want to help. And so I think just taking a moment, taking a breath, and asking them real questions that you have is the Mm -hmm. most beneficial thing you can do for both of you. Mm -hmm. Um, Because then it puts the conversation in a direction that is helpful for everybody. Absolutely. And I feel like it's like a sampler for us that if you are interested in that query and you then love their writing, like you already know that they can handle themselves and treat each other respectfully and humanely in any physical or personal interaction. Like it's not about being perfect. It's not about not being nervous. It's it's really just sort of demonstrating the type of person you are. And I'm sorry, no pressure. That That's not intended as a pressure thing. Just sort of like be your genuine self. And that usually puts you on a better level than if you were just sort of very rehearsed and very one note, I would say. Yeah. And I think people will forgive a lot if your overall vibe is good. I'm not looking Mm -hmm. for perfection. I'm looking for an overall good sense that you're trying Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that you're nice. I think that's pretty much all I really require. If you're trying and you're nice and you've done the work, that's Mm -hmm. all that you really need. I don't care how awkward you are. If you're shaking, if your hand's sweaty, if you're turning purple, it's fine. Like it, none of that is going to disqualify you. None of that is the equivalent of your video game character falling off a cliff and onto some spikes <laughs> or lava or anything. To me, that's just normal. Like you haven't lost any points. The only thing that loses you points is if you're rude or you haven't put in the work or you know, you're mm-hmm. otherwise making it seem like I just don't want to talk to you for the next several years on the phone about your book. <laughs> nope. Absolutely nailed it there. Because <laughs> that's true. It's a lot of time on the phone about your book. If you're unpleasant mm-hmm. and you're just, you know, I'm going to be stressed about every time I call you, I don't want to put myself through that. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so if you had Google level funding and the ability and encouragement to spend 20% of your time making something, what would you make? I'm a little bit obsessed with like stories about female entrepreneurs who like create products that are clean, affordable, or like sustainable or like services that are like that. I don't really know what that one thing would look like or would be, but like, I am definite that it would be something in that vein. I love all those brands that have achieved that and figured out a way to market in a way that really helps minimize exorbitant fees and whatnot. Like even the book that we were talking about earlier, The Herd, they have a coworker space. And I think that's so cool. Like I want to create something that's uplifting, empowering, empowering to people, but doesn't kill the environment. So like definitely something in that vein. I love that empowerment plus sustainability. 
yeah, because we're all self-isolating right now and we want that to change. So we do want that to change. But I love that. I love that it's so normal now to just FaceTime your friend wherever they are, because I have a lot of friends who've moved away and we've kind of lost touch. And now that everyone is at home, time and space are different. <laughs> so it's it's nice to be able to see the faces of all of our friends over the mm-hmm. screen on the one hand. And it's like, okay, if people move to Mars someday, they'll be able to have this. This is something. But it's it's not the same. And if someone could come up with a way to connect us in this moment or, you know, something to look forward to, like mm-hmm. a co-working space like that. I love my co-working space. I never know what people are going to be making in there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a guy who makes honey, oh my which God. I think is, yeah, One night I was there and I just, it was late. It was probably 10 or 11 at night and um, I heard heavy metal. And so I followed it and it's kind of a maze in there of like glass and you have this key card that like buzzes you into different areas. And so I just follow the heavy metal and this guy spinning honeycombs and it's a natural honey brand. And I've wondered for a long time if they have um, hives on the roof. And there are also people who make their own fabric and people Mm -hmm. who do all kinds of art. So yeah, there's something so great about being around people who are creating something. I love Um, that. I always, I don't know about you, but I always have that like, oh, I really wish that I could have figured out like a passion that I could create something with. Like one of my, uh, my parents does pottery and so now all of our bowls and dishes are not store-bought and so like I would love to that's so cool it's also because I break things that are rapid pace but (laughs) (laughs) yeah like I wish I had I'm sure I'll stumble onto it if I have google level funding at some point but like having that ability to create something that's useful like oh I love that idea I love that too. And wow, pottery. That's amazing. I love the idea of having everything that you're using being homemade instead of mass produced. It definitely, it definitely feels a little bit better, a little bit sadder every time I drop one, but um, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. As far as I've gotten with that, I like to embroider curse words, but that's like the most crafty (sighs) that I get. That is amazing. And little flowers around them. <laughs> I recommended that so much. That's like elevating Jane Austen just like a couple extra notches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stephanie, we are so excited for your class. Here is a little blurb that you sent us for the session. Actually, why don't you read it? So one of the most important skills for a writer to have is the ability to craft clear and strong voices in their manuscript. Sounding inauthentic or unrealistic can be the difference between a pass or an offer of representation. In this webinar, we'll target common mishaps and approach creating strong narratives on three levels, dialogue, prose, and characters. So as a result of attending this session, attendees will gain valuable tips and expert advice on writing realistic and engaging dialogue that is both informative and essential. You'll leave this webinar with the tools to self-edit your characters in order to render more believable and captivating voices. Yay! We can't wait. Okay, so that's going to be May 20th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and you can check out, you can get more information at live.manuscriptacademy.com slash voice. Stephanie, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's great talking to you both. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. 
And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.